Good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is a session on Beyond Infrastructure for SAP on AWS. What we will do in the next 45 minutes to one hour is to go through some really demo-driven ways of how you can actually build capabilities on top of your SAP applications using AWS solutions. I'm KK Ramamurthy. I'm a partner solution architect. I primarily focus on partners, for work with partners. SAP is also a partner of ours. And my goal is to work with the partners to build some really uh, cool business applications for our SAP customers. And in the next, uh, uh, next uh, few, uh, few minutes, I'll be sharing some really interesting use cases that we have seen with customers. I will say, though, this is really live-driven demo. Um, so hopefully, the demo guards are going to be with me today. Uh, we'll also see uh, some demos with simple use cases, because the point is for you to kind of see how all this plays together, so that you can take this and go help with your, uh, in your projects and help your customers build some of these applications. So how many of, how many of you are here are partners? About 50%. I'm assuming the rest all is customers. Thank you. Thank you for being here as well. So in the past uh, three, four years, we've been really busy with, uh, uh, with SAP and helping our SAP uh, customers. A lot of them have moved their workloads to AWS. You see some uh, names, uh, enterprise names here uh, across different industry segments. For example, Visi, uh, who is uh, uh, packaging, uh, uh, who deals with pack recycling and packaging in Australia. They actually moved their SAP uh, real estate to AWS and are already seeing some great business benefits, about 40% increase in their application server processing time, 28% increase in their database processing times. And there is uh, Sumitomo Chemicals. Uh, uh, it's based out of Japan. For example, they have big uh, ERP instances uh, that uh, processes uh, a lot of background jobs uh, to the tune of about 200K SAPs. Uh, and they're already seeing big business benefits, improvement in processing times, job processing times have reduced more than 40% uh, by moving to AWS. So customers are already seeing business benefits and our work with SAP uh, started with SAP becoming our customer in 2008. And as you can see in the past 10 years, we have exponentially invested and worked with them to come up with various uh, innovations uh, in the infrastructure uh, side. Um, if you have followed our announcements around SAP TechEd a couple of months ago, you would have seen um, we announced uh, uh, high memory instances to the tune of uh, uh, 6, 9, and 12 terabyte instances, and we also announced plans for releasing 12 and 18 terabytes next year. So we have been doing some incredible uh, work with uh, SAP in, um, in helping our customers run their production workloads. All, does it, all that is great, and that's usually the starting step, right? Because customers are not moving the SAP workloads just to save money and just to get the flexibility on the infrastructure layer. Yes, there are benefits, but that's usually step one. I would, I would even go and say it's step zero. Why they are moving is to start building capabilities on top of those migrations. For example, in analytics, IoT, mobile, app services, Machine learning. These are all the areas where SAP customers are looking at uh, utilizing AWS services. And what I want to cover is how you can help them, show you high-level uh, reference architectures, uh, some you know, ideas through simple demos, so that, uh, so, that, that, uh, so that you can actually go and connect the dots when you work with your customers on their business use cases. So let's talk about, dig a little bit deeper uh, on the SAP customers and what they are looking for. Of course, we said it's a strong foundation of compute network and storage. We see there are five areas or five major areas where uh, the focus is on. First is apps and APIs. 25 years before, I don't know, when I started my SAP career, it was totally fine for a big ERP, big ERP implementation to have one big monolith SAP box and build everything on top of it. And then came the whole web revolution. You know, we started building websites. They had to integrate with SAP. Then came the mobile revolution. Now companies started building mobile-first apps. Consumers started 
looking for the same flexibility and the same coolness factor that they see on consumer apps, on enterprise apps as well. And then now we are talking about a lot more uh, uh, investments around voice-enabled apps and all that, right? So customers are looking at not customizing the core SAP application anymore. As they are looking at S4 HANA migrations, they want to keep that core intact, let SAP innovate there, and then all their uh, specific uh, use cases, they want to build around this core SAP application using cloud solutions. So that's one area where we see we can really help, and you can really help your customers. The second area is IoT, Internet of Things. Obviously, a lot of uh, Industry 4.0 use cases deal with, uh, let's say, manufacturing sector, and a lot of manufacturing uh, sector uh, customers are using SAP to run their MRPs, production planning, and whatnot. Uh, we also see the third area is big data and analytics. So S3 provides that a really economical way of bringing all the data from multiple systems and then build LEDA lakes and then run uh, analytics on top of it. So we are seeing some use cases there. And then DevOps, uh, although it doesn't sound really cool like the other three areas, uh, customers are looking at uh, building automations, building uh, 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 building really uh, scalable and agile solutions using DevOps capabilities so that they don't have to redo the same manual effort that they are used to in the on-premise world. Last but not the least, all of this is supported by a solid foundation of machine learning. I didn't specifically call this out as a pillar because the way we see it, even at AWS, everything we do has some level of machine learning uh, as a foundation. So let's dig a little bit deeper. I, I promise I'll jump into the demos in a minute. Uh, but if you think about wh why APIs are important, let's actually stand back and think what your customers are actually trying to do. Their key stakeholders or their key use bases are their own customers, their partners, and their employees. And they want to enable them access the business processes, access their business applications seamlessly across multiple devices, right? We talked about mobile. We talked about uh, web-enabled applications. Conservative estimates put by 2020, 30% of web transactions in the consumer space will be through uh, something that doesn't even have a screen. So it's going to be through voice-enabled uh, applications, for example. If consumer space goes there, before we know, as we have learned from the mobile world, customers are going to want that, and your users and your stakeholders are going to want that same level of interaction in your enterprise apps as well. So is your SAP applications ready for that, and how can we help to make that happen? So that's where the APIs come in, where you expose those critical business functionality safely, securely as consumable APIs, and then start using it uh, through all these different channels that you are seeing here. And we will see that in our demo as well. So for those of you who live and breathe the SAP world, I'm hoping most of you do work in SAP in some shape or form. If not, stop by after this session. I can give you a quick spiel on how this works. But for most of you who are working in the SAP uh, implementations, uh, what SAP does is it allows uh, CRUD operations using a simple API layer through a system or an application called as SAP Gateway. Now, one could say, well, can this be our API layer? Yes, it's possible. It could be an API layer. Just put an application load balancer in front of it. You can start consuming it with other apps. But there is an inherent challenge here because you're only talking about SAP applications. Number two, this is not serverless, which means how, does, how is it going to scale across? Is this going to be globally available? Is this going to be a single point of failure? The answer is yes for all of those. As in, it's not going to be globally available, but it is probably going to be a single point of failure, right? A different way, or at least in my opinion, and our recommendation, a better way is still use the SAP gateway to expose those APIs because you get, you get benefits of that, but then use Amazon's API gateway as a front layer. Now, suddenly you get all the caching capabilities, globally available uh, artifacts, uh, it's available in the edge locations, you can meter the APIs, you can clearly segregate uh, your APIs based on who can access what, and then also, we have made some um, open-sourced uh, applications and sample codes. I've put some links uh, out there at the end of this deck. You can actually um, uh, exchange SAML tokens with the backend SAP applications. So if you set up Cognito in AWS and allow users to authenticate using Cognito, they can access all the AWS services that they are allowed to. But then that same Cognito 
without the user getting involved, and you'll see this in the demo, will also get an SAP ticket from the backend so that the same user who logs into AWS is also logged into SAP. And that's very important, especially with indirect licensing requirements, right? Because you don't want to be using a service user to be making all those updates because it's a compliance issue too. So you can do that as well. And then the best part of that is once you have done this, now suddenly all your non-SAP applications are also available for you to be consumed as APIs. And not only just that, your on-premise applications and SaaS applications as well. So that's the architecture that we will use in our demo. Can I, uh, can I switch to my demo laptop, please? not easy to type a password when you have like 100 people looking at your laptop. <laughs> so, so what you're seeing here is a simple mobile app. That's my iPhone actually being projected onto my laptop. And, and I'm going to actually sign out of this app just to show that uh, how this whole flow works. What you're seeing here is a landing page, which is basically the Cognito, uh, Cognito screen. Let me just go incognito so that you don't see what password I'm typing in here. All right, so I'm, I'm signing in, and when I hit the sign in button, a couple of things are happening. One, Cognito is actually issuing a token that I can use for all the AWS services that I allow this user to. But then it is also using a Lambda function to call to a backend SAP application and then say, hey, here is this user, here is the token, I trust this guy, you trust me, so give me a token. So SAP gives the token, and the API starts using the token going forward, which means if KK is here making changes to this app, that's the same user who's also making the changes in SAP, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and create an account. This is a random company in here. So when I hit save, what's happening is it's calling an API gateway, API, and it actually created an SAP account in a backend SAP system, okay? So that's the last account that I created. Just for the kicks of it, let's go and this is a backend SAP application. Let's go and see if this was actually indeed created very quickly. So that's the table. It's a backend SAP developer edition uh, system. And I'm looking at all the business partners. Let me sort it based on the business business partner ID so that we see the latest one out here, and the first one that was created is General Electric Company. That's what we actually created, and this was just by random uh, account name. I didn't specifically choose a specific customer, okay? So all you saw now is a simple API gateway API that connected to a backend SAP system and created a business partner. Big deal. You could do it with any middleware solution, right? That's not the best part. The best part is what other AWS services can I use now with this data that I have access to? So for example, I don't know about you, uh, I have a pretty long name, and if I hand over my business card to you while I'm walking through this conference, you're probably standing there looking at that name and trying to figure out how to type that whole name in. But thanks to recognition, what I can, oops. What I can do though now is, I can basically go into this particular business partner I created now, and I can actually scan this business card, and I'm gonna scan it real time, you're seeing it real time, and there is some noise in this image too, right? There's a lot of shadows in here and all that, but I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to code. All I did is I took a picture of this business card, hit that accept button, sent it to Amazon Recognition API, and said, hey, here is an image. Get me all the text from this image. So it already actually parsed all the images from here. So I'm going to just map my first name, last name, and then I'm going to say proceed, save. So what you saw here is a very easy way of creating a contact in SAP, but we used AWS, Amazon recognition to do image to text. Think about applications that you can build when you start building for your customers' use cases. Can you scan a document and kind of take words from it and then update it in the backend application? Or can you build some market positioning capability where you see an image and there are text images all over the place, you want to get what text is displayed in the image, connected to the backend SAP application, do some cool stuff out there. Those are all the use cases that suddenly opens up because now you have access to SAP data. Now, what other cool things can we do? 
I can do chatbots, right? So Amazon Lex provides you capability to quickly build chatbot applications and surface it in your apps. So I'm going to create a simple, I'm going to run a simple chatbot here um, where I'm going to talk to this app. Let me actually increase the volume. Hopefully you don't get a static back. Find an account. What is the account name? Amazon. Search for Amazon, right? Now, because it's chatbot, I don't only have to talk to it. Maybe I'm in a very noisy location, and I can also type. And I don't have to specifically code for this, because Lex can take both audio and text input. So I'm going to say yes. And what the chatbot is going to do? The chatbot, what it did, it is actually connected to the backend SAP application through the same API that I have opened up to fetch the customer data and show it to me here. Now, not the best use case. You know, there are a lot of use cases available like this here. I mean, they're like, you know, Siri does this as well. But to get to an enterprise data running on an SAP application usually is a little bit difficult in the sense because you have to think about security, auditability, governance, compliance, and going through an API gateway provides you that streamless access. Making sense so far? Is the pitch okay? Talking slow, all that? Good. So what other things can I do? Uh, well, because now I have access to SAP data, I can actually build some convincing augmented reality and virtual reality apps. So let's say, so we have a product called as Amazon Sumerian, which basically helps you to create AR, VR apps using your JavaScript and HTML skills. You don't really have to actually build or have knowledge to build AR, VR native apps. You can use your JavaScript and HTML skills to build convincing augmented reality apps and then surface them into a native app like this. So what you're going to see here is, let's say you are, you are in the business of selling drones. So I'm actually, I'm actually going into an order and I'm talking to a customer and I want to show a simple catalog of my product. So when I click that button, I'm actually making a call to an endpoint where I have published a augmented reality, uh, uh, augmented reality app, which basically was built using HTML and JavaScript. And then it basically shows a three-dimensional view of my product. Now I can make this as an engaging experience, or if it's your field service management, or field service workers, or work management solutions, you can now suddenly start giving documentations based on what servicing they need to do. Yes, you will have to create those three-dimensional catalogs. There are tools available for that. But once you do that, you can service it into the apps. But more importantly, you can actually make it interactive. Because it's JavaScript and HTML, I'm just basically wiring some on-tap events. So I'm going to, let's say on the top, you see primer drone, 20 pounds load capacity, whatnot. Maybe I don't want to buy the whole drone. I just want to buy the camera. So I'm tapping on the camera in here. And yes, you see on the top, the description changed. So not only it's an augmented reality app, you are also actually retaining state and letting it interact with the user. Now you can publish documentations for your field service agents, connected to backend SAP system, move inventory. There are some interesting use cases emerging there. Okay? But then no Amazon uh, demo will be, uh, will be complete without uh, Alexa being involved. So can I actually make some voice-based uh, voice recognition apps? So by the way, this is the web app I created, which is basically using the same path. As you see, it logged itself into Cognito. It's the same API layer, right? So the mobile app and the desktop app and the last account that we created should be somewhere in here. Right, so it's the same app. Just having issues browsing down, but that's okay. Now, what I'm going to do is use Alexa for business where I'm actually going to talk to Alexa, but then let her drive my screens, right? Hands on. Alexa, launch DaVinci. Welcome to DaVinci created by AWS. How can I help? Launch my sales dashboard. Launching the sales dashboard. How am I doing on orders? Bookings year to date is $6,113,877.08 from a total of 591 orders. How are my sales reps doing? Your top three sales reps are Jenny, Molly, and Elliot. Jenny is absolutely killing it. She has closed more than a million dollars worth of business this year. Thank you.
You are welcome. So what you saw now here is on the screen, you are seeing real-time SAP data coming in, right? That's not controlled by uh, Alexa there. That was going through the same API, and I just put in all these small charts in here to actually visualize the data. But when I talk to Alexa, it uses the same path of calling those APIs, which means it gets exactly the same data. Now, what in a real enterprise world you would do is you would also set up a PIN number, right, for authentication. And once you set up a PIN number for authentication, then you can actually push that PIN number to this mobile app. So that way, you know who is actually operating it and then connect it through the API and then hence the actual user ID in the backend SAP system as well, right? So now you have exposed APIs not, uh, not only just on a simple web app or a mobile app. We already did it with uh, voice apps, which is both chatbots, and then we also did it through Alexa. All these things become easy for you because each of this is actually just an API call away in most of the use cases. Making sense so far? Great. Can I switch back to the presentation? So let's talk about the second uh, uh, area where our customers are really looking for help. And this is actually, obviously, as you, know, you might have heard across, uh, this is actually gaining a lot of traction. Some of our customers are already doing some really interesting stuff through machine learning. But then for SAP customers who, you know, some of you might be really knee deep in building SAP applications. How can you help them uh, go up the stack using machine learning? So let's step back a little bit and see what our machine learning stack looks like. You might have seen this in other presentations. Uh, basically, at a very high level, there are three layers. We'll go top to bottom. The top layer is application services. Those are APIs available for your developers to quickly make a simple call and uh, and, and don't have to, there are probably thousands and millions of lines of code behind it, but you as developers don't have to write those, don't have to worry, just call an API. You already saw one of those just now, right? When I actually did that whole text to image, sorry, image to text, when I used my business card and then scanned it and pulled the text, that was using that service called as Amazon Recognition, which is text to image capability. There is also Amazon Poly, which is basically text to speech. You saw that when I used it with the chatbot. Transcribe is the other way around, speech to text. There is translate, obviously, quite obvious. There is comprehend, which lets you uh, write some uh, natural language processing apps, sentiment analysis and things like that. There is Lex, which brings that framework for building chatbots. And then there is DeepLens, and that's a device that's morely developer-focused device, which will let you take a video stream and then analyze the video and then make some meaningful predictions. I have some really cool demos in Builder Fair. If you are around here uh, tomorrow and day after, stop by the quad at ARIA, where we are actually using a deep lens to do some really cool integrations with SAP. So happy to have you there. I'll show some of those demos there as well. Now, those are top-level services, right? At the APA layer, where we actually package the heavy lifting for you, we actually do the heavy lifting for you so that you don't have to worry about it. But your customers are not necessarily looking for out of the box. Your customers are unique, right? Your customers want something very specific for their business. There is always a custom use case for them to be built. We provide SageMaker for you to build some of those capabilities easily, quickly, faster. SageMaker, have any of you tried SageMaker here? Quick show of hands. One or two. No problem. It's actually very easy. SageMaker lets you stand up uh, Jupyter Notebooks. We provide a lot of out-of-the-box algorithms. The algorithms keeps increasing. And those help you to actually build your own models if you provide your own data. So what I did is I created a, I created a custom model. I created a custom model in SageMaker to train. Anybody know who the, what this device is? <laughs> a lot of old people here, including me. I'm old enough to know what this is, right? But I don't know, maybe a millionaire won't know this, right? So I actually trained using Amazon SageMaker to train this product to understand that this is a floppy disk, but I connected it using API from a backend SAP application to pull catalog information. So the way it works is something like this. I, I, I created a set of training data. I actually took pictures of this floppy and a lot of other products that I have here, and then I ran an out-of-the-box available uh, model in SageMaker to basically train this particular, uh, to create a customized training model so that it can recognize when I send an image with a floppy. And then I deployed that uh, into uh, an endpoint so that I can supply that image to that endpoint and get the inferences back. 
Then I'm going to use my mobile app to take a picture of this, real life picture of this, and then submit it to that. It's going to recognize what it is, and then it is also going to go connect to the backend SAP application and pull the catalog information. Ready? Can I switch over to the demo laptop, please? Are we here? Ooh, internet. Let's try something else. Maybe that will work. Oops. All right, while it loads up. So um, what I'm going to do is, I'm actually going to, are we having problems here? Okay, there we go, let's do it. Phew, works. So, What I'm going to do is take a picture of this. Let me place it here. Do you see my, okay. So that's a picture of this floppy. I'm taking a picture of it. And when I hit this product classification button, what's going to happen is that image is being sent to an endpoint that I have published, which can take an image and basically do inferences on top of it. It took a few minutes to actually send it because of the internet speeds, but as you can see, that image in here is a live image. It actually recognized that it was a floppy. It went to the backend SAP application. On the right side, you see that is real SAP data. Okay? Let's actually try it with a different product, just so that you know I'm not making this up. It would have been easy for me to hard code this, but I didn't do it that way. So let's try this. I know. Thanks for noting that. <laughs> it was on purpose. It's an antique item. <laughs> so now I'm actually, oops. I'm actually sending a different product in here. And now that you should see, actually, it recognized this as a bolt. And this data is coming in from SAP. So let's go and actually quickly see that data. Let me see here, product data. Is it too small here, the resolution? Sorry for that, it's just the remote desktop, but I'm actually going to the floppy because my customers are complaining it is too pricey. And in typical Amazon fashion, we always like reducing prices. So, let's say $1. Now, I'm going to do the same thing again to make sure that this is actually real life. So, I did the, t I did the, uh, I did the picture of the floppy. It's already done there. Now it loads up, it still recognizes this of a floppy, and the price has reduced to $1. You happy, sir? Great. So, that's a simple machine learning logic. And again, this is a very simple use case. Obviously, this is not the use case that you're going to see it with your customers, but think about what you can do to help them using some of the tools that's already available for you. 10 years before, if you had to build something like this, it's going to take a lot of money, time, resources, and we probably didn't even have the computational power to do it. Now, a barely okay developer like me was able to quickly wire this. So I'm really thinking that customers having some complex business scenarios, you guys should be able to help them very easily. Okay? Now, what other things I can do? So we basically saw a concept called as product classification. What I said that is, hey, here is an image. Tell me what you see in this image. But can I push the envelope a little bit better? Can I actually make it identify identify the product, not only identify the products, but, I al but also count how many products that it sees in an image. And do it on a custom model, not like a you know, out of the box model, right? So I'm gonna go and basically take a picture of this product in here. And now I'm gonna say product detection. Now what you're gonna see happen here is once it actually sends it, now this is a little bit of a different endpoint, but what I've, what I've trained the system is, actually it didn't recognize both because of the shadows, but you can see that it is drawing a bounding box when the confidence level is more than 80%. So now, as you train, again, this is one of the nuances of machine learning also, is you, the inference is only as good as your training data, right? Which is actually the longest pole in the tent. The longest pole in the tent is not actually building all this. The longest pole in the tent is the data. 
because the ground truth matters. You need to tell the machine to say, hey, this is what it is. To train it, it needs some help, and then it'll get better, right? So in this case, it didn't pull up the other one because it didn't get that probability, okay? But either way, you see it actually is drawing a bounding box. It's able to spot where that product is. So think about use cases where you can really help your customers identify their products. I wouldn't do inventory movements with this yet, maybe for bigger objects. But there are customers who are also trying now to do some of those use cases as well. Can we automate inventory movement, quality control? Can we identify defective pieces? Right? All this using a simple set of capabilities. Can I switch over to the... Right. So all this using the simple set of capabilities provided by SageMaker. And remember when I talked about the ground truth, the test data, that was you could actually use mechanical Turks. Mechanical Turks are actually crowdsourcing it with real human beings to help you create training data. Right? So you can use mechanical Turk from Amazon or other services available to actually help them figure out what this data is. And then you can use the training data to train your algorithm, uh, to train your, uh, use your algorithms to create models. Making sense so far? Great. So the third uh, area that we see a lot of traction is Internet of Things. Uh, and this is, I, I really like this particular call out. It was called out by one of our uh, VPs. Uh, when customers are not actually trying to build Internet of Things solutions, what they're trying to do is get business value out of it, right? They want to discover, they want to access all the data, discover patterns, build better business models. Those are all the actual value drivers. IoT is just a means to get there. So instead of asking like what I can do with IoT, the real question there is if you knew the state of everything and could reason on top of that data, what problems your customers will solve. And that actually totally changes the conversation. So let's talk about a little bit on the architecture. So there are two pieces or two major pieces to the IoT uh, architecture, right? There is Edge. Edge is basically all the devices and sensors that you are going to, uh, that you are going to deploy and install in your, uh, in your devices, and those devices are going to talk to the cloud, and then the cloud is going to act on it. Now, not all devices are going to be able to connect to the cloud directly, right? And for the matter of fact, when you take, talk to some manufacturing companies, their missions are so old that you, know, you cannot just easily retrofit them to talk to internet. So then we have a concept of gateways, and uh, uh, Greengrass is a technology that provides that secure layer for you to run Lambda functions at the edge. So you have a sensor, then the sensor can talk to a gateway at the edge, and the gateway can have green grass, and that gets a real nice encapsulated container for you to run your apps in it, and all the certificates and connections to the cloud is taken care of by green grass. So if you stop by Aria Quad, shameless plug, for my builders for, uh, uh, project tomorrow and day after, DeepLens actually internally uses Greengrass to do that. It actually uses it to connect to the cloud. So we can see some of those. But then once you bring the data into the cloud, we have a lot of other options. One is basically the device management. Obviously, you are going to be deploying billions of devices. So you need a solid device management capability. Then you also want to make sure that devices are secure because you, know, you are dealing with business data. So Device Defender is going to help you manage those security protocols and updates and all that good stuff. And IoT Core basically provides you an entry point for all the data to be collected into the cloud. And I'm oversimplifying this, but that's at the high level the gist of it. Is it's going to let you collect all the data and then run analytics on top of it or run rules engine on top of it. Now, how is this relevant for SAP implementations? There we go, because we have exposed APIs, now you can easily link them back into all the rules engines. So you could basically collect uh, uh, billions and billions of rows of data, but you might not be wanting to send billions and billions of rows of data to a back-end ERP application, right? You will run your rules engine, and then basically, based on a specific activity, you are going to send an API call to the back-end system to create an order or create a work order or whatnot, okay? That's at the high-level architecture. So how are we going to demo that? Uh, ooh. Give me one second. There we go. Too many toys here. So have you guys seen this IoT click button? So what I've done is it's a very, again, simple use case for me to showcase uh, how IoT works. Uh, this is a click button, and I have registered this click button to my account. And then the serial number is linked up to a specific customer and an 
product in the backend SAP application. There is a mapping done. So whenever I click this button once, it's like a dash button in Amazon, right? Whenever I click this button one, an SAP order is going to be created, okay? We are going to try this because internet has been a little bit of an interesting thing for us today, but let's see. Let's see how this works. So what you're seeing here is a rules, uh, it's a MQTT uh, client. So let me just refresh this just so that we have the, we, have, we don't have any timeouts. I'm going to subscribe to this topic. So whenever I click this button, it should connect to the internet and send a simple message. We'll see if it works. If not, we will actually simulate it, okay? So I click this button, it's blue, 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 connecting, connecting. Hopefully it'll work. There we go. Ooh. So that image you see pop up there, that's a payload that actually came in from that button, okay? Now I have a rule in here which basically says if this single click comes in or a double click comes in here, basically connect to backend SAP application and create an order. So when I go and open my console, a new order should be created in here. There you go, it's refreshing. The order number should change to the next order number. So that is 603, that's the last order created. How do we know this actually worked? I'm gonna go into SAP and actually see if the order next to this order number does exist or not. So 603, right? So let's say 603 was the order that was created, so I'm gonna try 604. I'm typing in 604. When I display the order doesn't exist, obviously I've not created. So I'm gonna give this one more try. Let's go ahead and see if it pops up again. So I clicked it, connecting, connecting, there we go. I already received, received a message in here. And then when we go and see this, that order should be available. So now we created a simple order in SAP. Again, this is not a use case that you're going to do it for your customer, right? Unless if your customer wants to create orders using dash buttons, which is then it's a really good use case. <laughs> but what you saw here is you can actually do simple CRUD operations by connecting IoT into SAP using the API gateway. And that's the key takeaway here. All right? So that's the area number three. Can we go back to the slides, please? All right, so data and analytics. We saw a lot of our customers are looking at really bringing in data uh, from SAP and non-SAP applications and building some really cool analytics on top of it. So there is SAP applications and non-SAP applications. What you would do is for ingesting, you will bring it into Amazon S3, the easiest storage place for you to bring all the data in. The ways you would do that is, one of the things with SAP is you just cannot go directly into the database and pull data. You could, but it's not going to give you the context. Right? The context resides in the application layer, so you want to go through the application layer to pull that information. And SAP has done some really good job around building, uh, for example, uh, CDS views, which basically gets you build predefined views, and you can access it through the application layer. So instead of you having to pull 15 different tables and try to rewire all the logic and mapping, you can generate those views in SAP and then pull just, just those views already for you. So SAP data services could be used now. There is also a product called as SAP Data Hub, which goes above just data services, which lets you orchestrate uh, pulling data in multiple resources. So definitely take a look into Data Hub as well, okay? Or you can use a third-party adapter if that's what you have been using, and that's fine too. Uh, but the idea is to go to the application layer to pull the data. Now once the data shows up in S3, you can run tools on that to extract, transform, and load, and what we are seeing is, how many of you have heard about AWS Glue? About 10 of you. So what Glue is, is a service, it's an asset service, right? You're not standing up any hardware, software, none of those, we take care of that. It's asset service where you can run complex ETL loads on these data that you pulled from SAP applications, and then run your own extract, transform, and load uh, capabilities on top of it. And an interesting with, with Glue, which I personally like, is a concept called as crawlers. Because what we have seen is enterprises created a lot of, create a lot of data, but most of it is dark data. Some estimates say there's like 96% of data that is created by enterprises is dark data, which means nobody knows that data even got created. Maybe there is some nuggets of intelligence there that if your users have access to the data, they might come up with some really cool process efficiencies. Possible. 
But how would you know to go and act on a data if you didn't even know that existed, right? So crawlers gives you a capability to profile data. It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to answer, automatically do things for you. But what it will do, do is you can, it can go and crawl a data source and then try to figure out what kind of data is it, what is the metadata, and create a metadata table for you so that you can try to profile the data to see what it has and does it make any business sense. If not, just get rid of it. And that's only one of the features that I like, but there are other features that are very powerful around the ETL space, right? So we will see a demo about that. And then obviously you can use EC2, Lambda, EMR, and all those capabilities that we provide after you have done your ETLs. Of course, there is CloudWatch and CloudTrail, and there is Redshift for your data warehousing capabilities, and Athena. Any of you have used Athena? It's great, right? So Athena actually can run uh, queries directly on S3 data. You don't really even have to do ETL uh, to kind of bring it into a database table to run queries. You can run queries on flat files, for example, directly sitting on S3 without having to do it complex ETL on it. And we will see that in a demo very quickly. And then obviously you can apply machine learning across all the facets of this. And of course the data consumers, which is your apps that will consume this data, okay? So this is going to be a very simple demo. Again, go to the demo laptop, please. Awesome. So what I did is I have an S3 bucket where I have stored, I might actually just go into the S3. So here is an S3 uh, bucket which has a bunch of data in it. This is actually all simple flat files that are just uh, table dumps coming in from uh, an SAP application, like a backend SAP application, right? So then in Glue, I can create a crawler, and this crawler usually takes about a minute to run. I'm not going to push my leg today, so it, already, it has already run. Uh, but what it does is when I run this crawler, it basically goes to this particular bucket and looks into all the files and then tries to understand what does it have. Fortunately for me, in this case, it's all column, the kind of a tab delimited file with the first row being the column name. So it was able to automatically create a metadata for it. And the best part is, once the metadata is created, it actually makes it available for me in Athena directly. Now it calls this as a database and a tables actually, but it's not creating any database, or at least you are not creating any database. All it is doing is creating some kind of an index which basically goes into this S3 files, creates this metadata and also the data, and now I can directly query the data from here. So this, this folks, I'm actually running a query which is actually going into S3 files, and it is getting the data from in here. Now suddenly I can start profiling. I can say, how many rows do I have in Munich? Or how many rows do I have from San Francisco? Or do all kinds of querying capabilities to figure out what the data is, right? And then once I know what data is, what makes more sense, I can run extract, transform, load routines in my coding language of choice that we support in Glue to read those data, transform them, and load it into Redshift or whatever your target choice is. Making sense? A simple demo to showcase all the moving pieces. Usually data, demos for data is a little bit tricky, but hopefully this will get you get started thinking about all these moving pieces for ingesting, storing, translating, and loading to the target. Okay? Can we switch over to the uh, slide deck, please? All right. Now the fifth area that we talked about is DevOps, right? And and DevOps, obviously, is developers and operations, so you have to satisfy both sides, right? So it's like you develop, you operate. So for developers, we have a lot of capabilities around managing their code pipelines, code commit, and code build, and code deploy, and build your own pipelines, and make sure you have uh, authorizations and build capabilities around it, right? Now, a typical SAP world, how many ABAP developers here? Anyone? Ah, one man there. <laughs> um, so, a typical ABAP development mode for those of you who don't live that land, it's a little bit of a different coding way of coding, right? So ABAP is basically a database in the sense that all the code is actually committed to a database. So if I have a development system, every developer who has access to the developer system can code and actually commit it to the database. So which means usually code gets committed and activated when the developer has activated the code and not when the developer is actually ready to release it. 
It's a little bit of a different mindset from a non-SAP world where usually non-SAP applications is developers can build their own developer environments, build all that code, test it out, unit test it, and then commit to the pipeline when they are ready to commit. Right? It's a little bit of a tension. The ecosystem is trying to work with SAP to actually make ABAP more Git-friendly. Uh, but you know, it's, 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 it's very early stages there. right? But there are other applications, SAP applications, where you can already use, which are not necessarily committing to the database, to code pipelines and code commit and all that good stuff. Okay? So think about those, some of those. Obviously, on the runtime, we have uh, the EKS, which is our Kubernetes uh, cluster, our Kubernetes service, managed service. Uh, there is ECR, our container registry. Uh, so you can build all your apps in Docker, and that's actually gaining a lot of traction. If, you know, it's not, it should not be news to you. There's a lot of uh, containerized apps popping up because it gives you capabilities to actually build encapsulated solutions without worrying about all the dependencies so that you know it will work when you deploy to production. And we have those, uh, the EKS is a great way for you to not having to worry about managing complex clusters. It gets managed uh, and you can actually deploy your Docker containers through EKS as well, okay? And then that on the operation side, obviously, the CloudWatch, CloudTrail, Systems Manager. Systems Manager is a very interesting concept where you can write in installation documentations. And I got to play around it myself, quite honestly, a month back, and I was very impressed in the way how it can actually streamline some of your operations. So in a System, manage, system uh, Manager, for example, you can write what is called as a run command, which is basically, let's say, as simple as running a set of shell scripts, maybe download a, a binary from um, a particular uh, GitHub or download a binary from your S3 bucket, and then if you want to install that particular app in your uh, EC2 instances, you could write a simple run command document and attach it to all the instances that you are available and run it. Now, what happens is there is a log of who ran what, when it was run, why it was run, did they have authorizations to run it, if the things failed, what happened. So not only you are just providing a very easy way for your administrators to install applications uh, with a click of a button, you are also putting some auditing capabilities around it. Very interesting way of uh, managing. And of course, cloud formation, all of us love it. If you have been working in AWS, Toolset cloud formation should not be new to you. So definitely take a look into some of those as well, which will really help you to automate your processes. And to make it further easy, we also publish a lot of quick starts. Quick starts are meant for customers to easily deploy applications with predefined best practices configurations that we have seen in the industry. So that is very useful for you. So for example, if you want to play around with an SAP HANA system, there is a quick start for that. So there is a quick start specifically for HANA also. There is quick start for all the other types of applications, but for specifically for SAP HANA, there is a quick start. Uh, you can actually easily go and uh, uh, subscribe to it. You will bring your own licenses, obviously, but this will help you to quickly wire a HANA instance with the best practices that we actually have put in place. So, yes. I think when you use a quick start, it gets installed with a temporary license anyway, so with all the other SAP applications, but you have to apply for a license to actually activate it. Make sense? I don't think there is a trial license available, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Right, that's, that's another route as well. Let's check that back for you again later after this also, okay? All right. So, showed you a lot of demos. So let's kind of bring all this together at a very high level, right? So what we saw is, what we are seeing in the past four or five years, right, 2012, 2013, if somebody said like, hey, SAP systems are going to run on an EC2 instance and real production, the industry was not ready there. But in the past two, three years, significant, move, uh, significant traction has happened in this place, and we have thousands of customers already running SAP workloads in AWS. Compute, network for, for storage, and that foundation is solidly set, and they are already seeing business benefits. But that is, as I said, step zero. How can we help them? Five major areas of focus. Start exposing the SAP business processes, which are solid in a way, solid in its own sense, but actually easy to com consume and connect using API gateway, secure, scalable, cacheable, 
across the globe, right? And then start thinking about IoT use cases because that's something that we are seeing a lot of traction in the industry 4.0 use cases. There is big data and analytics, and then there is DevOps, all supported by a solid foundation of machine learning. And oh, by the way, I forgot one more demo, so let's try that as well. Alexa, launch DaVinci. Welcome to DaVinci created by AWS. How can I help? What is the product? Two HD Mac formatted floppy disk 1.40 megabytes capacity with high read rate. How is the inventory? Available inventory is below the threshold. Would you like to place an order for this item? Yes, place an order. Order created with ID 0500006050605. So what we did also is use the same voice enabled, but remember that particular floppy was something that came from the machine learning algorithms where I actually sensed it using my mobile app. I can put Sorry, it in Sorry, I did not get that. So I can put it into a I can put it into a DynamoDB table for the last inferences, and then Alexa goes and picks it. Now think about voice-enabled applications you can build for use cases where users cannot actually operate a mobile device. Right? There was a utility company where we were talking about it, and yeah, we can build an awesome mobile app for your electric utility electricians to actually when they are fixing those electric lines to go and do work order movements using the mobile app, guess what? If it's remote North Michigan, it's minus 10 degree Fahrenheit, nobody's actually removing their gloves to operate a phone. <laughs> so, so such use cases are also evolving. All right, cool. So a couple of quick resources for you. Always these three links. Um, we blog a lot, um, uh, at least very regularly in our uh, blog site, uh, AWS, uh, SAP on AWS blog site. Uh, watch out the space for more uh, blogs in this area. Uh, definitely, uh, also, we plan to post a lot more uh, GitHub uh, uh, resources because you, know, you need code samples to get these things running. And more importantly, we want your feedback, right? Partners and customers. Uh, we, want, we want to know from you what exactly you want us to help in building. So reach out to your partner managers, reach out to your account executives. Please give us that feedback where we can help you and where we can work with you to actually build services that can make more sense for us, okay? But for you. Quick reminder, please don't forget to complete the uh, session survey in the mobile app. If you found it useful, great. If you didn't find it useful, talk to me. No, actually give your honest opinion. That really helps us to fine tune our content for next year. We really, really, really need your inputs. So please take a couple of minutes to fill in a survey for this session as well. With that, that's all I had. Thank you very much. And I think we might have five minutes for questions.